stable so far, buddy. I mean, at the moment we are. North by south. We are, uh, mental health is just as stable as our internet connections, right, Clay? <laughs> Very similar. Spotty right? at best. <laughs> From the great white north. And the great American south. It's the border battle of the bands. This is... North by South. So you're better running. So come on and take a check yourself before you wreck yourself. Take a check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. The shotgun bullets are bad for you. Hey, welcome to North by South. My name is Rye, by the way. My name is Clay, by the way. And that rhymes. <laughs> by and by. Here we go. Rye, by and by. Clay, by the way. We're your hosts. Of this stupid ass podcast, <laughs> we're just gonna keep doing it, guys. We don't care if you listen or not. I mean, exactly. I guess if you're hearing me say that, you you're the few people I shouldn't be angry at. No, how you been keeping, Clay? It's already uh, March. It is. It's March the first today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Clay, but this time of the year, uh, you know, this is when the blues definitely do sink in the most. It's not a fun time of the year. I like to uh, not cheer myself up, but at least distract myself by checking out some music news. North by South music news. You hear it. Eventually. Yeah, the one problem is I didn't write anything down, but I, I do keep <laughs> up. And so, I, okay, here's, here's a thing I found interesting. <laughs> this is kind of music news. Dave Davies from The Kinks. Which is one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh yeah, love the kids. He showed up. He showed up on Twitter, which is already funny because how is he? He's got to be a pretty old guy by now. <laughs> and of course, he doesn't understand how it works. But his, I don't know if it's his very first tweet, but the first one I saw was hilarious because he is writing to Elon Musk with a very sincere complaint that anytime someone writes hashtag kinks. It's getting blocked by the algorithm because, you know, kinks like kinky sex stuff, whatever. And he says, Elon, (laughs) we are a very well-established band. (laughs) This says this isn't anything bad. This is just, uh, you know, can you please stop this from being blocked? Of course, Elon, who apparently has all day to dick around on Twitter. And by that, I mean tweeting, not working on fixing Twitter. No, I don't think he ever responded. Um, (laughs) But then, like, another account I follow, they made some kind of funny joke about, like, pretending to be outraged that there's a band with such a disgusting name. Right. <laughs> and poor Dave Davies doesn't know it's a joke, and he <laughs> kind of lashes out at the guy. and it, It's this whole thing. For me, a legendary band or artist like that, I don't want to see him on Twitter trying to navigate with no. these no goofs. No tweets for old men. That's what I say. Yeah, not because I don't want you. I just think you're better than that. (laughs) Yeah. That's my point. There was some music news that I actually saw, which kind of popped out at me. The Rolling Stones are apparently recording with Paul McCartney and Ringo. And there's this whole thing that, like, you know, it's the whole Beatles versus Stones, the boomer debate. And now, given the gaps with Charlie Watts and... 
nobody really cares who the Rolling Stones bassist is. Slotting them in there, at least for a track on the uh, the new, fresh Rolling Stones album. This is actually news. Thank you for saving this segment. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, who who doesn't love them both? I'm more of a Stones guy, but of course I love the Beatles. Yeah, it's one of those dividing line things that they all they all go for. I mean, I've I've always leaned towards the Beatles as far as the, the songs that I've like like, like locked into. Yeah. But I know why it popped up in my feeds because uh, the guy, the producer Andrew Watt, he's uh, he's big shit. Uh, he works with like Post Malone, and he's done like the new Aussie records. And the new Aussie records are all like throwing in all these boomer stars. Jeff Beck was on there before he kicked the bucket and mm-hmm. um, Eric Clapton was on the track. And like, so he's kind of like got his foot in like with these classic rock guys and he's doing the Stones album and okay. we'll see what comes of it. It might just be a track, right? I mean, I don't, I don't see them all going on tour together. <laughs> yeah. And if it's only that, that's still historic. Yeah. I mean, the, the Stones and the Beatles coming together in any capacity and we all know already it's not going to be the best stuff that either, either one of them have ever done. Yeah. But that's actually a big deal. That's pretty cool. I'm sure Dave Grohl will be there, too. <laughs> no doubt. Somehow he'll be there. <laughs> I have some follow-up news. News that's a follow-up to what Coming we discussed in. before. <laughs> I think on here we complained about the, the Springsteen tickets and how expensive they were. Oh, right, yep. Our boss. Yeah. Kind of gouging the common man that he often sings for. And, and the, the stuff he was going to charge us to keep using him in this show was just ridiculous. We couldn't afford it. We had to dump the guy. Yeah. Self-produced now. <laughs> I saw an article, though, yesterday that uh, I can't remember the name of the town. Somewhere in America, like one of the boring cities that you never remember even exists. <laughs> he's He's about to do a show there. And tickets are going for as low as $7 a ticket. Obviously, shitty seats, and I don't even understand how this happened, so I wish I hadn't brought it up because I have no answers, but somehow, uh, I guess on the resale market, like the demand wasn't there after the initial demand was there, but I've seen this firsthand in another city. My uncle and I were thinking about going to Kansas City because they had actually very good seats that were around 100 bucks each. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because, I mean, whether you care about Springsteen or not, there's this whole deal about the surging price of concert tickets. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe if you wait around long enough and check like a week before the show, maybe you get lucky it's and find some for- very cheap. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I, I mean, it goes to show. I just uh, like, I don't know if it's the markets because like, I mean, Springsteen can basically I'd think he'd be able to play in any town and sell it out. It's true. And in personal music news, I bought tickets recently to, uh, or a friend of mine did, uh, to a concert. It's rolling into this town in August. little band you might have heard of called Guns N' Roses coming to town. You got them. (laughs) Got them already. I saw them on the first reunion (laughs) tour with uh these same friends we had a blast so we're gonna do it again right on man oh that'll be good i did see that they're coming to toronto as well but um it'll probably sell out pretty quick here because that'll probably be their only canadian date but uh oh yeah that's cool man right on get to see uh axel in his prime 
<laughs> no doubt. Yeah. No, it seems like they're on a pretty good kick nowadays. I've heard that the reunions have been really great. Yeah, the shows are actually good. Axel, he didn't sound like he used to, but he still he still can sing a lot better than most people. And Slash is as good as ever. And they've they've called out all those or gotten rid of the the bucket heads and the fucking uh <laughs> DJ Ashbury and all those idiots, right? I mean, there's still some, you know, half the band is people you don't, you know, really, okay. they weren't in the original lineup, you don't care about them, but they sound good. And it is funny that when they first reunited, remember everybody said, oh, this will never work because Axel will, he'll screw it up and, uh, you know, he'll show up and he'll be late to every show. And hmm. I think he's been absolutely prompt and on time for every single concert. He goes to show, sometimes aging can be a positive thing. Yeah. Our little boy Axel is all grown up. If you survive the uh the uh <laughs> the crazy years, what more is there to do but uh show some consistency? There you go. He's doing it. Well, that's the news. That's everything. I guess that's the news. <laughs> Cuz anyone dies. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. Clay's going to see Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Has did anyone die since the last <laughs> podcast we can we make fun of yeah <laughs> all right so enough of that fucking around let's get into the theme of the day what do you say i say yes all right apparently a lot of artists that i like regardless of their uh nationality have pretty fragile minds and uh <laughs> so finding something to link to like madness or mental health it wasn't hard I mean, yeah, all of them have been diagnosed with some kind of <laughs> disorder in order for me to enjoy them, it seems. But I also got to thinking, like, usually when I'm down in the ditch, which happens this time of the year, like I said, like clockwork, I revert to, like, music I listened to in high school. Punk music is one of the ones. Reconnect with, like, my jaded youth, you know? So I went with an old favorite today. Probably, like, my favorite punk band overall like definitely my favorite canadian punk band um it's a band by the name of society's no fucking use which is commercially known as snfu it's a good name for a punk band yeah yeah you just gotta make an acronym and you can get away with anything man (laughs) you can put all kinds of swears in there so this is their debut album it's the first track actually from the debut album so right out the gate this is what they had and it's some like great you know, snotty, youthful, mid-80s, hardcore, kind of in that area when there was like crossover, kind of crossing over with metal to an extent, and the thrasher kind of uh, skater punk stuff. Uh, but SNFU stuff was always really fucking unique because of the lyrics. And uh, yeah, we'll just get into this. So the song I'm going to play is called Broken Toy. And it's from their debut album called And No One Else Wanted to Play. 1985 is when this one came out. There was a boy who had a toy, but it was no color.
so it's a punk song it's two minutes so we're almost done but i'll stop it right there before we go into like the breakdown part uh what do you think of this this is like pretty what you'd expect from like fast thrashy punk right yeah and i, I love that it's yeah. yeah give me a two minute song the snotty vocals uh yeah. the what is it, the drums doing like the double time and yeah switching up the, to that uh, yeah yeah uh, it's just that's cool as hell that, I, I love a punk song like that and it's yeah. raw as hell that's what it should be oh yeah these guys are fucking great for that they're early stuff very diy obviously um and i think the vocals are really unique for the time they're not as he, he, uh i love his, his yeah screams he holds them a little too long mm-hmm. and they break apart it's awesome um but he's got cool melody in his voice too this song here though right on theme uh it's called broken toy and what some of the lyrics are uh there was a boy had a toy was no car train the toy he had was the best toy in the world the toy was called his brain toy could talk toy could think there was no limit at all then one day this perfect toy broke and now he thinks nothing but broken thoughts so there's this idea obviously a lot of punk stuff is about like uh usually they bring in like a drug culture of like an old person like driving themselves to insanity because they're pissed off at like Reaganomics or something, at least in the eighties, it was always yeah. something like that. A lot of his, his stuff is right in that like youth of just like a kid at school. Like it's, it's not being brought on by anything. It's like, he's just snapping his brain, you know, like to actually, to tie it into like the singer who's kind of the, the guy obviously wrote the lyrics and stuff, Mr. Jay pig. Um, I got to draw attention to him because He's kind of what I'm speaking directly to the mental health slant we're putting on things here. He's a fucking legend, this guy. Um, so much charisma and such a unique uh, character in the scene. I don't know, punk is pre- predominantly like, you know, white suburban kids fighting. Or like it kind of became uh, not so much hardcore punk. There's a lot more diversity in the hardcore punk, I find. Um, but it's always like, once it rolled into that kind of that green day snotty suburban kid kind of thing um yeah, you're right it's always kind of been that which is it's funny it's these people that you would think don't have that much to be angry about yeah but we all have our trials and tribulations so yeah it works <laughs> but it is yeah. it is kind of fun he's still very young obviously when he's doing this stuff but he definitely uh he lives the life and he's just an interesting dude i mean he's so he's like half german half chinese he's openly gay and he has this like really cool look someone with a presence exactly an incredible voice incredible presence yeah and stage presence obviously that translates to um but he also had serious mental health issues uh he fell victim to hard drugs over the years and uh, including like you know crack crystal meth he names it all but um it took a heavy toll on his body and stuff and i but i he did most of that like in the 80s and 90s when when the band was big and i never saw them actually in their heyday like perform obviously cuz they were big before my time of being able to go out but they would often like headline like the all ages shows. So I did see them like in the early two thousands. Um, and like, they were kind of like a legend slot. Like everybody was like, Oh my God, I can't believe SNFU is playing <laughs> with like all these local bands and stuff at, at the local Sealin all, all ages gigs, you know? And, um, then later on too, 
when I actually got out into the bars properly around like 2005, I did actually meet him in person too. I didn't like meet him, meet him like or hang out with him too much, but I did get to film him because I was always the the punker guy who was just filming bands. Oh yeah, cool. And, yeah, and like even with skaters, like I learned how to skateboard just enough to like film skateboarding and like be on a longboard and like chase the guys that are actually good at doing stuff. So we would always like make videos and sell them at like the little skate shop and stuff like that. And uh, SNFU was just like a big. We'd like we like the idea of like a local, like a Canadian using a Canadian band in it. Cause they're probably not going to like, if they find the tape, they're not going to sue us or anything. <laughs> so we used a lot of their music in our, in our little videos and shit. And like I said, when I started going to the bars, he used to hang out at like this local haunt, um, in an area of Vancouver called Gastown, which is like, it's kind of like our skid row, but it's also like kind of a touristy place. It's really weird. Like all cobblestone area, but then like tons of heroin, just like a, and some divier bars. Um, a lot of the punk scene stuff was that I was seeing was around there and stuff I was filming, but he would frequent this bar called pub Three Forty, which kind of became iconic that like, that was just like his haunt. So they had karaoke nights there, punk rock karaoke. And it was a given that Shea pig would come up. He's off. Like by this point, he's like ravished body, he still drank a lot because I saw him always drinking and he would uh, he'd draw pictures and like give them to people for beers and stuff like that. Like he had this like street urchin kind of quality to him, but he was also like a legend. Everybody's just like amazed to be in his presence, wow. um, which was really cool, though, to see him that way. And I was filming a band and the band kind of like got on good with him and I filmed him like talking with them and we cut it into their video or whatever. Super kind guy. He had like a sweet like shimmery dress on too but he looks like Confucius. Like he had this giant beard. He's really, he's like half Chinese. So he just looks like a little like, uh, Fu Manchu. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's such a cool story. Yeah. And that's you, what's your, <clears throat> what you do for a living now is you work as an editor and we've yeah. established that before. So I, I would like to hear a little more about, so back in the day, you kind of started out with just a camera, just filming bands and skaters and, Shit yeah. like that, and then just editing it together. Music what kind videos, what, punk uh -huh. bands, and stuff like that? It it, it would be cool because a, a lot of the all ages gigs, like they don't care if you brought in a camera. So I would film a lot of them, and the bands would see that you're filming them, and they just be like, they just come hang out with you, and you know, hook you up with some narcotics, and just uh, like you just cut stuff together for them. And some of them, uh, there was like a couple small skate shops that would like sell like videos like dvds you just burn them off and it would just be local kids uh or like local guys skating and there's some of them were like pretty good you know like they'd get into the slam city jams and all that stuff and i mean there was also kind of like that like jackass and all that was big around that time so some of the stuff was like cut together with like them just clowning around with punk bands and stuff so there's a big mix of like music and skating and sure yeah, yeah. so that's cool. Some of the stuff I did when I was like, yeah, end of high school, a little bit into the uh, the years before I decided to go to college. <laughs> I took a bit of time in between to just fuck around with these hashers. But yeah, it must have been a blast. I loved it. Yeah. But Shea Pig, there's like a lot of um, stories. Everybody that like kind of was into that scene and stuff, they all kind of bumped into him just because he was like a fixture there. 
but he was a fixture there because he was in that area where there's there's help for him too i mean he was he was staying at like mental health men's clubs um so he has uh passed on um he died at like he was like 59 or something like that he 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 was clean from drugs and everything so like they don't as far as his actual death it wasn't it was probably a result of some of that and uh he definitely you know stuff would catch up with him eventually um of course they don't know exactly what happened if it was suicide or anything like that either so um but a lot of people have speculated that yeah he he was in a bad way right before it happened so people knew and they they don't really know how he checked out or something but it's was very sad because uh he he was like like uh, the little amount that I just interacted with him is like, I could just tell like if that guy like interacts with us like that, just randomly, um, he definitely would have touched a lot of people's uh, lives in that area. Yeah. This might be kind of a sad episode because my tale is, I don't know, a little bit similar. It's, it does seem like those people with the biggest hearts often tend to be the most creative and artistic, but then they also are almost too sensitive for the world where they have to cope with, drugs and alcohol or whatever the case might be, they have their demons. Um, and those people, you can be drawn to them because they have so much to offer, Yeah. but then they can't take care of themselves. Exactly. And it's, it's a tragedy. And, and I don't want to, I don't know. It's cool to talk about these people and yeah. sort of honor them. I also don't want to glorify the tortured artist thing. You don't have to be, you know, an addict or a depressive to make, cool music or cool mm-hmm. art, but it does go hand in hand sometimes. Like you yeah. said before in your, in your intro. Yeah, it was, it was hard for me to pick one for this episode because there are so many yeah. stories of these great musicians, singers, songwriters who, yeah, they had mental issues. And a lot of times like those mental issues go unchecked when they're in scenes like this, especially you think about like, you know, hardcore punk rock in the eighties, they're not going to be, it's almost encouraged to be wild and drunk yeah and, exactly yeah. he would show up in these costumes and be off the rails kind of thing um and his energy is just insane too so uh yeah uh let's finish off broken toy here because i didn't get to the breakdown it's kind of got a little ray davies kind of vibe to it they kind of go into a kinks kind of breakdown i find at the end of it you really got me There's no denying there. That's their first song off their debut album. There's still dynamics in there. Um, and melody and the return to composition as far as like coming out of that breakdown. 
that's one of the big things that I like about like that that crossover of punk when it was like uh, crossing. I mean, pop, punk is always punk and rock are kind of hand in hand. Garage rock is kind of it's just looser rock, raw rock, and then but adding a bit of that like. Um, sense of uh, tempo change and all that stuff. The drummer has some cool little like flans out of the at the end there, and that punchy kind of kinks riff. Uh, so they have like a musicianship as a band, and and then on top of that, they got the X factor of JPEG being a fucking stud, uh, charismatic dude. Um, it had that raw, chaotic energy, but also felt composed, like a composed song, at the same time. And you're right. Good job bringing it back around to the kinks. <laughs> that that sort of simple but pulsing, infectious riff. It sounded a lot like "You Really Got Me," which yeah. it's not my favorite Kinks song, but it's a good one. And it's yeah, cool. That's just where it clicked sound, in my head. Sound the... here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just the, going from that rapid, uh, like um, discharge beat into the fucking into something that grooves a little bit more. Yeah. Those shifts work. Yep. Absolutely. Nothing's better than an artist, a local artist that you were able to connect with a little bit. Mm -hmm. Obviously means something to you and someone who is like a local hero. Like that's the right amount of fame. That's what I would want where everyone around you respects you, but you're not like a big superstar. Uh, (laughs) But and, and you earned it because you were yourself, and probably every big city has a few people like that, and that's a a very cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A local hero, but still, uh, yeah. Lots of links to the theme of mental health there for sure. Yeah, this is it's a heavy episode, right, listeners? Yeah, it's not going to get any better. Because <laughs> 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 I've moved to my pick. The descent continues south. Descent into madness. My artist for the day is Elliot Smith, who, Ryan, I don't think you're very familiar with. This is one of my favorites. For once, I'm going to actually play you my favorite song by the artist. Usually it just doesn't work out as far as the theme. But it does today. And so we'll get to that song in a minute. But I do want to give kind of the Elliott Smith bio because it's on point with the theme and it's interesting and it's someone I I do care about. I've watched a documentary about him and read the book about him. And then even better, I went to Wikipedia today to refresh my memory. (laughs) So I'm I'm well prepared. (laughs) So Elliott Smith first started a rock band and they had a little bit of success for a few years. And then he went solo, and this was in like the mid-90s, so it was kind of the grunge period, and he was in Portland, Oregon at that time. He's from Texas originally. And he decided to make a uh, solo acoustic kind of singer-songwriter type of album and thought, like, no one's going to like this, but they did because he's a great songwriter. And so his first couple albums are more in that vein, the solo acoustic songwriter stuff and sort of amazingly he was nominated for an Oscar for best original song for a song called Miss Misery it was on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack oh okay 
How do you, how do you like them apples? That's the only, that's <laughs> exactly. the only Goodwill hunting reference I have. Sorry. I mean that's that's the one. I think you nailed it. But even at that time, he's things are starting to go well now. But he had bad issues with alcohol and drugs and depression. And there are a lot of stories that kind of prove this point. One was that he got drunk uh, one day and decided to kill himself. So he ran and jumped off a cliff, but he landed in a tree. So he was kind of impaled by the tree. He was injured badly, but it kept him from dying because it broke his fall, right. you know, way before he could plunge further to the ground and to his death. He continued on with his, obviously his depression and his, he was an alcoholic and mm. it got worse in the later years. He got addicted to heroin and then he started to get paranoid. So there was a time where he thought there was a white van following him around and he was going, he was kind of a big deal at this time. You, you know, mm. Oscar nominated, like well-respected, well-paid musician. And when he go to a studio to do a recording session, he would have his friends drop him off like a mile or two away from the studio. So he could take some weird route through like the trees and the bushes. So if anyone was tailing him, he thought he was, you know, he could lose them that way. Wow. Like it's wow. really dark, sad shit. He was just kind of losing it. Right. Yeah. He, he quit eating. He would only eat ice cream, literally just ice cream. Which, you know, again, not to make light of it, but like, if you're gonna pick one thing, that's I can relate. I, that is I a delicious. Pound, I pounded some cherry Garcia tonight. Actually, that's what I had for dinner. <laughs> I, I'm try, I try to add levity to serious subjects, not because I don't yeah. care. Uh, towards the end of his life, uh, a friend of his said that he would smoke fifteen hundred dollars worth of heroin and crack every day. Oof. Those numbers are always crazy, but like, really, how do you quantify the, the, the amount? I mean, it's, it's how much, it's not like there's like a retail price. on it. <laughs> Maybe he just got a bad deal. <laughs> That's a good yeah, per I, balloon or something. I guess, I guess it's how much he spent, you know? Yeah. I always hear that with like bands that make the drug albums. They're always like, oh, they got this budget and they spent most of it on cocaine and yeah <laughs> it all went up his nose yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah and during that time he tried to overdose on drugs many times according to like all his friends and there are all these stories about his friends and people in bands and his manager that just staying up with him until five o'clock in the morning just because he was going to kill himself and just trying to talk him out of it i mean it was a tough scene right and we like to glamorize this stuff with rock stars but it's really not that cute in reality. So here's the kind of weird thing. Right before the end of his life, he made a bit of a comeback. He had been a mess for a couple of years. I just explained to you how that went down. But he went to a, a different kind of a rehab. He had been to many rehabs and it didn't work and he couldn't do the 12 steps. And he went to like sort of an alternative rehab treatment center. And then he quit drinking in 2003 on his birthday and he started making new music again. Everything seemed to be going well, but then just a few months later, he died from two stab wounds to his chest. So he got in a fight with his girlfriend. She went to take a shower. She heard a scream and she, she got out of the shower, opened the door 
to find him, Elliot Smith, standing with a knife in his chest. Standing up with a knife in his chest. Is this a Sid and Nancy kind of scenario? Well, I'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) She pulled the knife out, which, don't do that, right? I mean, I've seen enough. I mean, I'm not blaming her, but you don't pull the knife out, guys, if that's just going to make them bleed bleed out, right? right? So if you ever encounter someone with a knife stuck in them, don't pull it just out. Just leave it, leave it be, yeah. But she pulled it out, and she called 911, and he died in the hospital about an hour later. Okay. They found a, a possible suicide note. It was just written on like a little yellow sticky note that said, I'm so sorry, love Elliot, God forgive me. So a tragic ending, but yes, there is controversy as there so often is when a beloved musician, singer, whatever, dies and, and the fans can't accept it. Yeah. But there's enough here to like feed the uh, fuel the fire. The autopsy report said that we can't say definitively it was a suicide. There were no hesitation wounds. Right. Which you usually find in suicides. And imagine like I mean, that's a hard way to go out, right? Just yeah. stabbing yourself twice in the chest twice. with a big knife. That's fucking nuts. So it's it's considered a suicide generally, but... Right. And there were, like, Ben Folds was a friend and came out with a song that at least clearly said that... Kind of blamed the girlfriend that he was doing well and she kind of took away his peace of mind. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily saying that she killed him, but also kind of blaming her for... Yeah, and how often is that the case when there's like a, a couple and that 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 happens in that situation? Yeah, I mean, like exactly. I mentioned, Sid and Nancy, Kurt and Courtney. That's like it's always a yeah, it's always a thing. John it's, and Yoko. It's kind of gross to me, it's, you know, because you love the one guy because you love his music, right? And you don't know the other person, and so you just want to blame it on the other one. I mean, I don't know what happened. We're not going to figure it out tonight, guys, but. Well, it sounds like there was some lead up to it, at least. I mean, if you jumped off a cliff. Right. you got a guy who's tried to kill himself over and over and over again his whole life. And most of his songs are about how sad he is or, or about suicide. Or I mean, this was never a happy person. So it's not wild to think that he might have killed himself. Mm-hmm. And to add to that, there was a article in Spin Magazine and... 2013, like this 10th anniversary of his death thing. And uh, one of his drummers said that Elliot Smith was a sick man without his medicine during the last days of his life. When he was not only sober, he had also given up meat, red meat, and sugar. So to me, it seems like, and the point really isn't to like have a trial today, but you ever know someone who just does everything a little bit too hard? Yeah. So even when he decided, like, I'm going to get better, it wasn't enough that he quit alcohol and drugs. He also quit sugar and red meat. Right. And that is a, for someone who has serious mental issues, he, he took on a lot. Right. And I can see where maybe that just didn't end well for him, that he, he took his own life. So that's my fun take. <laughs> yeah, we got a nice dark one for you, lads. But what's what's cool about the song I'm going to play is that it's actually the lyrics are dark as hell, but the music it's kind of haunting, but it's also pretty upbeat and poppy and catchy, and I love that kind of song where it's sort of a mix of the two. 
And here's the two for Tuesday, guys. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, <laughs> obviously the madness theme. I think I'm, I think I've thoroughly covered that with Elliot Smith. He had mental issues, but then he also sings this song about a complete madman, a very famous evil serial killer. So let's check out this song by Elliot Smith from Figure Eight called Son of Sam. stop there the song is only three minutes long it's i think kind of a perfect pop song but the lyrics are important here i think most people probably know who son of sam is but in case you don't david berkowitz was a killer who killed six people and wounded seven others from 1975 to 1977 in new york city and this became like a huge story. It was on all the newspapers at that time in New York. And uh, and he, he was enjoying it, right? He, he sent letters to the police, taunting them. And it kind of got the whole city into this mass hysteria. He was the 45 Magnum guy, right? Like he was going to cars and... It, it's exactly right. He would, he would mostly attack or target couples right. and specifically... Couples that were in parked in a car somewhere, making out, having sex, whatever. Right. And he would go and he would shoot them. This is not a funny topic, but I'll try to be funny. Because uh, <laughs> his, his main nickname was Son of Sam, which is a pretty cool nickname. And I'll explain why he had that nickname in a minute. And then the other one was like something like uh, the 44 killer, like yeah. some reference to his gun. 45 caliber. Forty-five caliber killer, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And then his third nickname was Mister Monster. <laughs> like Son of Sam is like it's a badass nickname, and yeah. the other one's pretty good. And then someone came along to say, you know what? I got something better. How about Mister Monster? <laughs> uh, so that made me laugh. But the reason he was called Son of Sam was because he said once he was arrested that he was obeying the orders of a demon that manifested itself in the form of a dog that belonged to his neighbor, Sam. Right. And so everything he did, these horrible things, these murders was because this dog that his neighbor, Sam owned, told him to do it. Yeah. And it, but everyone talks about son of Sam or some version of that when they talk about this guy. Yeah. And like 10 years later, he said, uh, I made all that up. That wasn't true at all. <laughs> who knows <laughs> who knows what you know what was really going on in his head but he said yeah i just made all that shit up that was a hoax 
But so you can see in this first verse, uh, the last few lines, got nowhere to go, son of Sam, son of the shining path, the clouded mind, which I think, I mean, that's basically the name of our episode, the clouded mind. Yeah. That's it right there. Up, Up in the cloud. cloud. The couple killer each and every time. It could mean a, a few different things. The couple killer could be depression or addiction, you know, that ends relationships, right? It's a pretty cool, like, clever parallel between someone who's actually murdering couples and right, yeah. and these things that can just ruin, you know, a, a dear loving relationship that you might have with a, a woman if you're a man. Or a man if you're a man. Look, I don't care. Do, do what you want, guys. I did see... Uh, I guess there was some interview. Elliot Smith, he didn't like the limelight. He didn't like interviews. He did one interview and someone asked him about this song and he said, eh, it's not about David Berkowitz. I don't know. It just kind of came to me one day and I wrote this down. I don't know what it means. Which you see a lot of songwriters say that. Yeah. And now like all these nerds are, well, Elliot himself said it has nothing to do with David Berkowitz. (laughs) Really? It's called Son of Sam. And it's talking yeah. about couple killers. Yeah. Well, he's pulling the Berkowitz himself then if if you said that he said that. I just <laughs> made it up. I made up the yeah. dog. Whatever. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so Keep you on their even toes. more, yeah. What's true? What's up? What's down? No one knows. Let's just listen to some jams. I will say, uh, like, just, like, you know, like you said, this up to is like the indie darling thing. And obviously right away, the his vocals, very pretty, very, very nice uh pretty male vocals which you know what jumps to mind is um that's sir john stevens didn't he do one about like gacy and it's always like that pretty voice and but dark dark content so when i heard the serial killer connection there i was like oh is this gonna be like one of those oh it's i'm so dark but but obviously you've set it up enough that yeah it is uh, legit (laughs) it's legit i mean if, if yeah that's one thing you cannot question this part you know the solo it's not much of a guitar solo but where the electric guitar kind of bursts through and just repeats the melody to me that works perfectly and i should say the producer here is john bryan who is incredible he's a producer in la he's part of the largo scene out there and he produced like rufus wainwright and fiona apple and uh amy mann and michael penn and all these guys so he knows how to put a song together I love the sound. And again, it's all Elliot Smith. His drums are kind of frenetic, I guess. Um, his groove is a little off, but I think it works. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense as a songwriter playing these drum fills to me. I don't know. They're, the way they accent the song, I think is cool. And it feels a little bit different than what your average drummer would do. And then as far as the lyrics go... Yeah, he he's got the line acting under orders from above. So again, another reference to the actual son of Sam, who was 
he thought like this demon dog was <laughs> telling him what to do. Right. And then the one line, the structure of the song is kind of interesting too, even in three minutes. It's basically like a one line bridge before you go to the solo. And the, the line there is king for a day. And we all know, if you know anything about David Berkowitz, he thoroughly enjoyed being in the spotlight. And that's why he was sending these letters taunting the cops. And uh, right. he, he loved being famous and being king for a day. Mm-hmm. And then you could also say, since I have a degree in English, <laughs> and this is how I've decided to apply it. Uh, you know, if you're, you fall in love, you feel like you're on top of the world. But for a lot of people, that can be fleeting. Right. And that's the other side of what this song is about, is relationships and love and how that can fall apart. So, Yeah, I can see that. Point is, this shit is badass. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. of Sam by Elliot Smith. So the last few lines there were Shiva opens her arms now. Shiva is the Hindu god known as the destroyer. Shivu opens her arms now to make sure I don't get too far. I may talk in my sleep tonight because I don't know what I am. I'm a little like you, more like son of Sam. So I think this is kind of his recognition that he destroys everything in his life. Um, and he's comparing himself to this horrible, famous killer. Yeah. That's madness. That's madness. Yeah. And I will say, um, knowing that he's playing all the instruments and knowing what process that would take. I mean, you can't play unless he's doing one man band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did it all at the same time. It's a live time. take. There's, there's a madness in there as far as like what the piano's doing. Um, it's kind of got this weird, like off kilter kind of honky tonk thing. But then anytime he's singing a melody, it's, it's plunking along with the melody, but not right on the melody. It just, it, it's very discordant. Um, and kind of like, yeah, definitely speaks to an uneasiness, which is cool. Yeah, you know, he probably went through a lot to get this done. Yeah, and no here's what's great about what you just said. There's a song on this album that's called Honky Bach, okay. where it's him, like the opening is him playing the piano, and it's kind of like a classical piano with like a honky-tonk feel. Yeah. So you nailed it, right? I was, yeah, it has that, it has that like old bar room kind of swing, like saloon style honky-tonk. And I think like, some of that is the actual sound of the piano that probably can credit John Bryan for. But yeah, it's definitely the way he plays it also. Mm-hmm. So what do you think overall? I like it. I like it. And I like how it changes a lot. 
like throughout the, the um the temples and stuff and as much as i said like as i say like a oh, pretty voice it, it, it's, it's 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 a great voice um i dig i dig it well cool. guys i guess the point is that mental health issues are Sad. Right, please take over. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking, like, we probably should have one of those disclaimers. I've seen it where they're like, call this hotline if you're having it. We're not that kind of show. Um, but do actually call the hotline. I don't know what the fucking hotline is, but do. You know, I, okay, I'll, I'll actually say that. I'll actually say this. And uh, we're not that kind of show. And this might be too much for you or the listeners. And uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to make it a very special episode or. But I, I started taking antidepressants and seeing a therapist about five or six years ago. And uh, and I was always, I never thought I wanted to take pills because like, oh, then I won't like music as much, man. Or I won't feel things. I'll be like a zombie. You'll, you'll, you'll like different music. Be listening to Enya. And it, right. <laughs> yeah. And now all I do is listen to Enya and I'm happy all the time. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, that's not always encouraged, at least for people my age. And right, right. what actually happened was uh, I felt better and I still feel like shit and sad a lot of the times. I feel things very deeply, but it actually freed me up to be able to do things uh, that I just felt too low to do before. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine where I'd be without it. So if you feel bad, dudes... And ladies, other ladies, you're not listening. Or I would talk to you. <laughs> go, go see somebody. Get on some yeah. medication. Talk to a therapist. It's totally fine. It can really help. Yeah, man. Why not? Keep them between the ditches. That's what I say. Try. Yeah, whatever, it, whatever it takes. Life's really hard. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, follow us on Twitter. Check us out on the socials. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Yeah. Let's get out of here, Clay. <laughs> All right.